Our life tends to be so built upon our memories of who we are and what this past year has been. And how has this past year been for you? What memories have you created? You know, as a church, this has been an exciting year for us. Just at the beginning of December, we celebrated a year that we've been worshiping in this new facility. And this past week, we celebrated a one-year anniversary of a year that we had a community center called The Landing opened up. It's been an exciting year and so many opportunities that God has revealed himself and so many highlights of God at work. 2018 truly was an amazing year for us as a church, but how was it for you as an individual? What was 2018 like for you? Because memories really build the foundation of who we are. Our lives are built upon our memories. And I remember many years ago at the turn of the century, Kenny G had a song that played on the airwaves so often. It was his millennial mix of the old Lang Syne song when he, is, when he went through all the highlights of the 1900s and all the great things and hard things and happy things and the sad things that happened through that century. You know, at this time of the year, I wonder what our memories may be. It's almost daily that I turn in, log into Facebook and I see memories pop up from pictures I've posted. Maybe it's been this past year or two years ago or nine years ago or ten years ago. And so awesome to see those memories. But what about you? What memories have built your foundation of who you are? Because at this time of the year, we look back of what has been, but realistically, we look at what has been as we look forward with an expectation of what is to come. Because as we prepare for the ball to drop, we are so much filled with hope and expectations of a better year. Maybe 2018 was not the year you hoped it to be and you hope 2019 will be that year. And we bring so much hope into the new year. And with that hope, we build our life upon resolutions and we make these plans that we will do better at certain things. And we have all these different resolutions we make. You know, some of the top resolutions that people make is lose weight, get organized, save more money, quit a bad habit, or spend more time with their family or their friends. But did you know that of those people who make resolutions each year, only 46% of them actually keep those resolutions? Over 50% of the people who make resolutions are not going to keep them a few months later. But we go into the new year with so much hope as we watch the ball drop. You know, speaking of the ball drop, it seems that we just love to drop things to celebrate the new year. And did you realize the ball that's being dropped in Times Square is not the only thing that's being dropped tomorrow night? Here are some of the, the funny things I've found around the country that are being dropped at midnight tomorrow. In Georgia, there's going to be Spencer the Possum is coming down. Georgia has a bunch of these. Georgia's a weird state, by the way. Also in Georgia, there's Bob the Buzzard is going to be dropped at midnight tomorrow night. In North Carolina, a glowing pickle is coming down. Why didn't Pittsburgh think of that? We have Heinz, right? Um, in Wisconsin, there's Lucky the Carp is coming down at midnight. In Flagstaff, Arizona. Now, Steve, Pastor Steve is an Arizona boy, so we have to make fun of him about this when he comes back. But the Great Pine Cone is coming down. I don't know what's so great about a pine cone, but it's coming down tomorrow night. 
And in Maryland, tomorrow night, they're going to be dropping a giant crab. Of course, after the Baltimore game, I hope they're going to be a little crabby. You know what I'm saying? But you know what? We all like to drop these things in celebration of what we hope will be. We hope 2019 will be an exciting year. We hope that tomorrow will be a better tomorrow. But so often for many of us, our hope realistically is clouded by doubt. We are so overwhelmed with doubt because maybe our hope did not come through in the past. Maybe life did not turn out the way that we hoped it to turn out or whatever it might be. Our hope so often is clouded by doubt. And while we look forward to the next year, realistically in our hearts and our minds and our soul, we're just not sure. You know ultimately why? Because this world lets us down so much. Every day when I turn on the news, there's more disappointment. There there is more heartache in this world. And because this world lets us down so often, our hope gets rearranged. But maybe our hope should not be in what we turn on on the news. Maybe our hope should not be on what the world can provide. You know, this past week we celebrate Christmas. And the story of Christmas brings so much happiness and joy. And most of all, it brings hope. It's this time of the year that Jesus was born to provide us with everything that we desire, everything that we hope for. This is the majesty that is in the manger. Jesus was born to give hope, to turn into a reality. You see, the magnificent designer of all that is built a master plan. Not to provide one Christmas, but his goal, his intention was to actually provide two Christmases. For the genius behind the scenes has another deck to deal, another promise to fulfill. The God of this whole universe has not decided to come once, but he's decided to come twice. That was his master plan. Jesus is the fulfillment of what was and what is and what is to come. You see, my friends, there's a better Christmas on the horizon. One that we have more hope for and can look forward to. See, God's plan had two parts to it. He's already accomplished part one. And part one, jot this down in your notes, God's plan was that Jesus came as a man to offer salvation. That was part one of his plan. You know, God always, from the beginning of time, from the beginning of his creation, had a plan to save mankind. Throughout the Old Testament, we can see God leading us towards this purpose. Through the life of John the Baptist, we can see God leading us towards this purpose. And finally, the purpose was fulfilled with a simple birth of a baby boy when the Messiah came into the world. And years later, after his birth, when Jesus was beginning his ministry, he found himself in a synagogue. You see, in that day and age, in the Jewish custom, the practice would be to gather on the Sabbath in the synagogue and different people would take opportunities to read scriptures or to share something. And Jesus took this opportunity as well. It became a great speech. You know, 
all throughout history, we see these historical speeches. And maybe you've been there where you've heard a speech and you say, this is a historical moment. I can't believe I've been there. All throughout history, we see moments when speeches have been made and you say, this is changing the world. You know, for example, in 1987 at the Brandenburg Gate, Ronald Reagan made a speech where he stated, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. But did you realize after he made that speech that, was, that had mixed reviews? A lot of politicians and people in that day and age thought you were too light, you went too easy, that was too weak of a speech. But two years later, in 1989, the Berlin Wall came down. John F. Kennedy in his inaugural address in 1961 famously said, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Martin Luther King Jr. revealed in 1963 his I have a dream speech. Abraham Lincoln gave the Gettysburg Address in 1863. And in Luke chapter 4, Jesus himself gave a historical speech that rocked the religious world. Just like many who denied the, the speeches of those great politicians in their day and age who said, that speech was too weak, that speech was awful, you don't know what you're doing. The same type of controversy revealed or centered around Jesus and his speech in Luke chapter 4. In this day, Jesus on a normal average Sabbath got up to the podium. He grabbed the scriptures and he laid them on a table as he rolled them open. Read with me in Luke 4 in this historical speech that Jesus gave. It says, He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And as you can imagine, it just went crazy nuts in that synagogue. I mean, it's so easy for us to read this in 10 seconds and overlook the magnitude of what just happened. Just imagine that scene with me for a moment. Jesus quietly got up from where he was sitting. He walked up took the scripture from the attendant and laid it on the table as he slowly unrolled the scriptures to find this place in Isaiah that he wanted to read. Now, while we read this in seconds, this took quite a while as people quietly watched Jesus unravel the scriptures. He found his space, he read those words, and then he slowly rolled the scriptures carefully back up, handed them back to the attendant, and slowly walked back to where he was and sat down. Today, I fulfilled that. Can you imagine the magnitude of the moment? In that moment, Jesus revealed, I 
am the Messiah. You are looking for a savior. Well, I have come. I am here. Can you imagine if you were there in that moment? The most historical speech in all time happened right here. As Jesus revealed who he was, what he was all about, and what he was here for. Now, many in that day and age, they thought, you're crazy. You're foolish. You're a madman. Because honestly, Jesus was one of those things. Or he was Lord. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And on that day, all the people in that synagogue had to make the decision. Either you are a liar, you are a lunatic, or you are the Messiah. You are Lord. My friends, the question is the same for us today. Who is Jesus to you? Who is he to you? Because like other religious people sitting there on that day, we too tend to wrestle with those same questions. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he is Lord. And your answer to that question will determine the path that you take and how you view him and how you will live your life. So who is he to you? If Jesus truly was a liar, my goodness, that was a pretty big lie. One that he was willing to go to the most gruesome death of all, of all uh, deaths in all of history simply for a lie. That's pretty big, tall order if you ask me. If he was a lunatic, just read his stories and his love that he revealed to those that he always encountered and how people gravitated towards him for hope. It just doesn't add up for me. Well, if he's not a liar and if he's not a lunatic, then his words must be true. And if they are true, then he is Lord. But you need to answer that question for yourself. Who is he to you? Because Jesus came to this world to give us life, to be our savior, to be the Messiah that we have been waiting for. That was part one. But part two is still to come. Jot this down in your notes. Part two is Jesus, as king, will come with all of his authority. One day, Jesus is coming back with all his authority. You know, Jesus allows things to happen in this world at this time so people can choose which way they will turn and who they will go towards. But when he comes back, all answers will be made, all doubt will be wiped away, and he will take full control of all of his creation. He is coming back. Jesus said himself that he is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, who was and is and is to come. And in Romans 14, this is in your notes, but the Bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The question is, will you make that confession before he comes back. 
Because on that day, every knee will bow. They will bow to his authority. But by that point, you all already have determined your future. By what you chose before he came. When he comes back, there will be no doubt. All doubt will be removed. When Jesus came the first time, he came as a humble servant. Born in a lonely manger. But his next visit will be as king, where all of his majesty will be revealed. All of his glory, all of his honor will be made known. There will be no more doubt. This world is not our hope. He is. He is our hope. Look what's written about his return in First in Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 16 to 17. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. And then later on in Revelation 22, verses 12 through 13, Jesus said this, Look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. One day he is coming back. But you know what, my friends? It seems that there are too many religious people today that spend way too much time trying to figure out the day, the time, the hour, and exactly how he is coming back. And when we do that, we are wasting our time on what is the most important for us to do. You see, it's not our job to determine when he comes back and how it's all going to play out. Guess what? That's his job. Our job is to live for him. In fact, Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. He said to them, the disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. It's not for you to know. So stop trying to always figure it out. That's not the point of our existence. It could come tonight. It could come tomorrow or next year. Or you know what? It could be 200 years from now. We don't know. But what we do know is that he calls for us to live for him while we are here. And so often what the problem is that happens is we misalign our focus to the point that we lose track of what really is the important thing in our spiritual journey. We try to figure out the wrong things. It's not about when he comes back. It's about what I'm doing while I'm still here. You know, for example, recently I watched a news report on how to be prepared in case you get stranded in a car in some remote place when the snow comes flying in. And you know what? I don't know about you, but I've been looking at the weather. I don't think we have to worry about it anytime soon. We're going to be okay. But let's just pretend for a moment that I just think, you know what? That could happen one day. And so every day I'm watching the weather. I'm trying to figure out if it's going to snow today and where it's going to snow and if I could get stranded that day just so that I can be ready for it. But I spend so much time watching for the day that it could happen. I never do what I need to do to actually be prepared for when that happens. 
And then when it happens, I'm like, hey, I knew it was coming, but guess what? I don't have a blanket in my car. I don't have water in my car. I don't have food in my car. The things that that report said you need to do to be prepared for those moments. And then tragedy hits. And the same is true in our spiritual journey. You see, we spend so much time trying to pinpoint, hey, I saw this on the news. This could be the time. This is where it's our generation, my friends. It's coming now. You know what it could be? Or it might not be. But don't spend all your time trying to figure out when it might be. Focus on what God's calling us to do while we are still here. And he calls us to live in a way to always be ready for him. To live a life fully for him. You know, in all of our Christmas stories, there's one that is recorded that we tend to look over. Or we tend to leave out. And this is the story of Simeon. I think this is one of the most amazing stories in the Christmas stories. Because Simeon desired to see the Messiah come before he died. And the Spirit of God actually told him, you will see him before you die. And from his story, the little that we know, there's so many lessons that we can learn on how we can live in a way, always being ready for the day that Jesus comes back. Let's read Simeon's story. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. You know, there's a couple words of wisdom in this story of Simeon that we need to learn and live by. The first thing that Simeon teaches us in his life is that we need to listen to the Spirit. We need to truly take time to listen to the Spirit and hear what the Spirit has to say. You know, because in these words, there's such an inquisitive statement. It says how he was prompted by the Spirit. He came to the temple. You know, Simeon had seemed to have no plans to go to the temple and was not planning to do that. But God desired him to go. God desired him to follow him. We don't know how this prompting took place. We don't know how God spoke to him. I mean, it could be a call from a neighbor, an invitation from his wife, a nudging within his own heart. We don't really know how this spirit prompting came. But somehow, Simeon knew to go. And although we don't know what kind of prompting that he received, or even whether or not Simeon understood what was happening, we do know that this was not the first time that he got a tap on his shoulder. 
earlier in those words, we see that Simeon was prompted by the Spirit that you will see the coming Messiah before you die. And you've got to wonder what this type of message would do to a person. What would you do if you knew that someday you would see God face to face? What would you do if you knew today I'm going to see God face to face? You know, when my wife and I first started dating, I made sure that I would uh, pretty myself up, spice myself up, you know, put the nice fragrance on, do my hair all nice and fancy, wear my nice clothes, actually make it look like I wash my clothes. If only she knew what she was really getting into. You know, I did those things. Why? Because I knew I was going to see her and I wanted to win her favor. I wanted her to think that I kind of got it all together when maybe I really don't. You know, and we do the same thing for God too, don't we? And oftentimes our intentions are revealed when we come to church. We walk into church and we quickly act like we have it all together. We put on the nice fragrances. We act like we wash our clothes. You know, and we act like our life is in order when maybe and realistically it's not. But what if you knew you would see God today? Because he sees you on a regular basis. He knows the real you. He knows who you truly are. Because we encounter him all the time. Did you realize that you encounter God on a daily basis? On a regular basis, the Spirit of God is prompting you. But in some ways, we've done so good of a job to tune him out. We've done a really good job at tuning him out. You know, through the Spirit, God prompts us regularly. Maybe it's when we read his word and read the Bible and his Bible just, his word, I'm sorry, just speaks to us. Or as the Bible says, by creation, we know his existence. And through creation, we see God as real, but because we become so tech savvy and so um, enthralled with what we make in this world, we overlook the simplicities of this world and what it provides. And God's speaking to us through his creation. Maybe it's encounters with others. Maybe it's local or world events. You know, the Bible says that we will see his coming come too closer with wars and earthquakes and rumors of wars. And we see bad things happen or maybe just maybe God's prompting you through your conscience. You know, I really believe that our conscience is God's spirit at work. Prompting us to make the right choice or the next right choice when we make a wrong choice. But what tends to happen in our life when we make poor choices is that we kind of tune out our conscience to the point that where we don't even hear it anymore. You know what the Bible calls that? The hardening of your heart. When you begin to tune out God's spirit and God's prompting in your life. So what do you do? To prepare yourself to see God face to face. Because the reality is, whether you realize it or not, you see him every day. And one day, you will see him in all his glory, face to face. What are you doing to prepare yourself for that? Are you ready for that? 
You know what Simeon did? He lived his life every day in constant expectation that he will come. He lived his life every day that today could be the day. And we should do the same. Jot this down in your notes. We should live with daily expectation for Jesus to come. We should live every day with expectation that Jesus will come. I love the words in this story that Simeon uses, or that's used about Simeon. He was constantly expecting the Messiah. He was living in expectation of the salvation of Israel. He lived in prayerful expectation of help for Israel. Simeon was a man who was always on alert. He was wide-eyed and watching for the Messiah to come. And the Greek word that's used here to describe Simeon is prostekomai. Now, the Greek language, whether you know it or not, has many forms to the action verb to look. It can range from looking up to looking upon to looking in. But here to describe Simeon, the Greek word that Luke uses is prostekomai, which means to look for the coming. You see, dekomai means to wait, and pros means forward. And you put these two syllables together, and you've got prostekomai, or Englishly, English translation, waiting forwardly. Now, if you're an English major, I know you hate the grammar. But the image here is amazing. It's awesome. And it's beautiful. Simeon was waiting. He wasn't demanding. He wasn't hurrying. He was waiting. Are you waiting forwardly for God to come? Are you wide-eyed on your tiptoes, ready for action? Are you preparing for what he has for you? You know, are you waiting? I'll never forget the day that my boys were born. You know, the, the anticipation of what was to come was so exciting. You know, I knew that one day they would be here. And nine months at the beginning seemed so far away and I just could not wait who they were going to be. And we didn't find out the gender. So honestly, I didn't know if you were going to be a boy or a girl. But we were just so excited with the anticipation of what was to come. And in that preparation, you know, my wife and I, we got their rooms ready. We got toys. We had all the things prepared for the day they would arrive at home. We were living in anticipation and expectation that they would come. But for too many of us in our life following Jesus, I fear that too many of us, and I struggle with it too, my friends, that we live too many times for comfort rather than for Jesus. And we've got sucked into this mindset of our society that tomorrow will come. Live for today. You know, live for your own pleasures. Get what you want. Store up your treasures here. And so many times we live more for comfort than we do for Jesus. My friends, life is a constant battle. And if you're not prepared, you will be ambushed. Anybody on the battlefield would know that. You always live your life prepared so that you will not be ambushed. 
And the Bible teaches us that the devil, he's doing everything he can to ambush you. That's his desire. And so like Simeon, we should live our life on high alert, always being prepared that today, today could be the day. But so often in our life, we tend just to waste so many things. We waste our time doing things that really don't matter, really don't make a difference. We waste so much of our money on things that are so short-lived that are gone tomorrow. We waste so much of our talent on things that don't matter rather than using these things to be prepared, using them for God and his kingdom to advance his mission. We need to live our life like Simeon, on high alert, constantly expecting today is the day. Because I wonder sometimes if Jesus came back today, if he came back this afternoon, if he came back tomorrow, would he be satisfied seeing me doing what I'm doing? Ever thought about that? As you're watching a movie, if he came back right now, what would he think if I'm watching this movie or listening to this song or saying these things or treating this person this way? What if he came back in this moment? Because in my life, there's many moments when I'd be pretty embarrassed for him to come back to. I'm going to live my life every day expecting that this could be the moment. I'm not perfect. Far from it. But I desire to live every moment that this could be the moment. If he comes back, I will not be embarrassed for what he finds. That's my heart and my desire. Bottom line is this. We need to be ready for Jesus' return. Be ready for him, anticipating that it could be any day now. That should be our primary focus. You know, in Simeon's model, he was constantly expecting the Messiah to come. He was living and waiting in anticipation. You can see him in those words, calmly expectant, wise-eyed open, arms extended, searching the crowds for that right face, hoping that one day the Messiah will appear. And in the end, Simeon's prayer was answered. He saw Jesus in the flesh. And one look at his face, Simeon knew the hope of his life had been fulfilled. And one day we will see that too. We will see him in all his glory. But the question is, do you wait for the God in anticipation? Are you ready for his coming back? Or are you fearful of that day? Because if you're sitting here and you're thinking, Bill, if he came back right now, I just don't know. I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know which direction I would go. I don't think I have it right with him. If that's you, don't put off another day. Don't delay it anymore. You can experience his hope today. And if that's you, please come talk to one of our Next Steps counselors at the canopy at the back of the auditorium and learn how you can take the steps to experience God's hope in all of his glory, everything that he wants to provide. You can know today that if he came back in this moment, I've got it. I'm in his arms. Jesus came back the first time and he brought so much hope. And my friends, 
He's coming back again. And we need to live in a way to be ready for him. Listening to the Spirit. Living in expectation that every moment could be this moment. And so I want to live for him every second of every day. I want to make him proud with who I am. How about you? Let's pray together.